Your story is waiting for you today. Your story has something new to say. But your story will only come out to play when you're alone. Alone. Alone in a room with invisible people. The following episode may contain swearing. Alone in a Room with Invisible People is brought to you by hollyswritingclasses.com. If you find value in what we do and you'd like to support the podcast, go to coffee.com, that's K-O hyphen F-I.com forward slash alone, or you can go to alonewithinvisiblepeople.com forward slash support us to find out more. Thank you. Hi, I'm Rebecca Gallardo, the host of Alone in a Room with Invisible People. I am here today with author and teacher Holly Lyle, and we are going to be talking about process. Um, before we get into it, though, we're going to do what we do every week, and we're going to talk about our weeks. Holly? Um, I had kind of a rough week this week. I, I did manage to get two chapters of the Ohio novel revised, um, but or the actual the editor's revision of the book revised. So I'm getting close to the end of it. But this was a this was like tax prep week. I am determined that next week is going to go better. And Becky and I have got some stuff going on with that <laughs> that she's going to talk about. Um, but for me, it was it was kind of a rocky week. But yeah. I am anticipating next week is going to be significantly better. <laughs> um, I got some revision done. And part of the thing that I mentioned, I think it was last week or two weeks ago, um, is The Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod. And through that, part of what you're supposed to do is, um, or what you can do, obviously, it's you build your own routine, is reading. And I'm a reader, so I put extra emphasis on the reading. And I found um, this book... Oh God, I don't know when I found it, but it's called the Twelve Week Year, and I put that as the first thing that I'm deciding to read while doing my Miracle Morning, uh, which I'm I don't like that term. It's not in the morning that I do it, and I have issue with the word miracle. So I'm just gonna say my my um, self improvement routine, <laughs> but it is a good book, and I'll put it in the show notes again. Uh, the, the thing is though, the 12 week year, as I started reading it, I was nodding along with everything. I was very excited about everything. I was like, uh, yeah. And then it, it, it said this one point that after you do one rotation of this 12 week year, you need to put an emphasis on taking a couple days off, having a three day vacation or whatever. And I was like, okay, yeah. um, I'm not going to wait till I finish this. I'm just going to suggest it to mom. (laughs) Yeah. So I called her because I was pretty excited about it, but I, I tried to keep my excitement tampered down because I, I just wanted to her to read it and make her own decisions and judgment. And, um, yeah, apparently she's like super hyper excited about it too. Oh yeah. So yeah, this, (laughs) this, um, it's called the 12 week year, Brian Moran and, Michael Lennington. Yeah, very excited about how this is going to change our emphasis, our focus, and the different priorities and stuff. I did, as I said, I did get revision done, and it was really good. Uh, I was happy in that I was able to take five scenes that I had written in the first draft and turn it into two. 
However, my stack of white is still <laughs> fairly thick, and my stack of the write-in, even though I'm typing a lot of it, but the stack of the yeah. write-in is is so fat right now, and it's it's just that I keep feeling like I'm banging my head on a wall the wall of this manuscript i just want those white pages to go down because damn I, how long is this book gonna be you know well, i it, it could be a a you know a duology or a trilogy if it has to be no no this no. one book is not going to be a trilogy this one book is part of a series and <laughs> where the main character is the only reoccurring character as far as the POV. So, like, you get everybody in the ghost hunting group. And then the rest of... You know, I, I do have plans for some of these other characters. But it's like, I just... I have to finish this first book first. And it's... <laughs> yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah, so... Frustration. But... <laughs> excitement, too. So, that was our week. And what we are going to talk about today is details on process. We have a lot of questions from folks about process, how to know when to adjust, how to, you know, like how different processes work. A lot of people are stuck in that mindset of it's my process. And a lot of people are thinking that process is something that is solid, that is unchanging not something that is flexible like you you create this fiction within the the boundaries of this process and we have mentioned many times especially holly because she's the one with all of the credibility here all of the books all of the traditionally published and indie published books that process is something that changes that she says there's no one true way to write a book there's not even one true way to write a single book. So yeah. she's going to go into the processes. And also, I kind of wanted her to show you guys a kind of a, a condensed lineology, <laughs> I guess. Yeah, I'm not going to go through all my books because... Um... That you just that's just just too much. But um, we picked Becky and I kind of bounced ideas back and forth, and we came up with some representative books, and uh, they are books that are representative of different processes I used for each of them, um, and also different times. Yes, different times in my writing career. She has some that are traditionally published, some that are indie published. Mm -hmm. um, so. Uh, why, don't, why don't we just get started with that then? Yeah. Okay. Um, so the first thing that I want to really, really emphasize is that you are allowed to look at a problem in your writing and, and say, this is a real struggle. I'm having just an awful time getting through this, doing it this way. And to ask yourself, okay, well, how could I do it differently in order to maybe loosen things up, in order to give myself something fresh on the page, in order to get me past this hump I'm over, with the understanding that I don't have to stay with doing it that way, but what could I do right now just to get past a bump? Um, this is for mid-book prices, 
uh, mid-book crises. Uh, it's for uh, getting lost in the story where you just don't know what happens next. Um, a lot of people, too, they will get stuck on a, on a specific scene. Mm -hmm. And they will put off and procrastinate and then just end up not writing that scene or or maybe even a sequence where they don't know how how to get to a certain point mm -hmm. so then their love of that book becomes this this instead fear that they're not good enough that they can't figure this out that they wrote themselves into a corner and then that neurological link of this book is torture and then that one becomes a hard hard drive zombie which if you haven't listened to that episode that's a fun episode um, I'll link that in the show notes and then they move on to another story because they couldn't figure this out so this is kind of and I've done that I've been there mm -hmm. so it's you're, you're, it's just the minute things like taking that, you know, sequence or scene and writing something out like, okay, this is supposed to happen here and moving on right. for somebody who is very specifically stuck in the linear process and has never tried this before. It can be intimidating. It can be like, no, I'm cheating. No, you know, that word in your head is going to be there, but that's one of the examples that maybe you need to let yourself try it. Yeah, there's, as long as you are writing your words, there's no such thing as cheating. You know, there obviously is cheating if you're copying somebody else's words. Yes. Uh, but any any way you go about getting your own words is is entirely up to you. There, And, oh my God, Becky is so right. Absolutely. If you are stuck on something, write one sentence. And, and make it something like, in a perfect world, I'd know what happens here. Uh, and it mm -hmm. would have something to do with um, magic breaking my character's um, best tool. And then that's your sentence. You put that in there. You go, okay, so what happens next? And you tell your mind, okay, for now, for the first draft, I'm done with that scene. I fixed it. It's gone. So what happens after I fix that problem? And you start writing right from the next thing. Do your chapter just, just because you can come back to something later and it'll be awesome. Um, but sometimes you just don't know what has to happen in that one particular scene. And there's no way you can find out until you write three scenes on and one of your characters says something to another character that happened a, a while back. And all of a sudden you go, oh my God, that, that right there is that scene that I just jumped over is that thing that happened two weeks ago um, in in the villain's house with with the hooker and and the three big wheels of cheese. Um, and yes, I'm back on cheese. <laughs> no, that's yeah, it's it's it really is like a lot of people will have this sequence where they don't understand how to get their characters from here to there. So try that, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. but yeah, so let's get to one of your examples. Okay, so. Um, I, I wrote, I, I, okay, these are the books that I am going to be discussing. One, there is an NDA on it, uh, because I wrote it under a pseudonym for a book line. Explain what an NDA is. Okay, that's a non-disclosure agreement. That means that I can never claim that I wrote that book, uh, so it will not have a title. It will not 
I will be going into very vague specifics. Um, yeah. But uh, it is a book set in the Old Testament. Uh, you might or might not know, depending on how far back you've listened. Uh, I was a missionary's kid. I am very familiar with the Bible. And uh, uh, the fact that I am an atheist now in no way reflects back on that. And, well, she was at the time she wrote it, too. But it was a a money, you know, it was, hey, we need to pay bills. And, <laughs> and I had this offer. Yeah, but this is part of the process is how do you, how do I make this something that I can be proud of writing because even though nobody was ever going to know that she wrote it, she still didn't write shit. Yeah. She wrote it. Yeah, I yeah. know. I'm very proud of the fact that that is the one book in that series that has five-star uh, five reviews. <laughs> yeah, that it is the very one cool. book in the series that, that has a solid, it's like a four-and-a-half-star total, but tons of five-star reviews. It's like, okay, yeah. hey, there you go. Um, but... I, I am also going to be discussing Minerva Wakes, which was uh, my first urban fantasy way back before urban fantasy was even a thing. Um, the talent. Well, before the the word was a definition for the right for right. it. Yeah. There was actually no description for what that book was at the time. Um, yeah. Turns out it was an urban fantasy. Uh, Talon and Hawkspar, which are high fantasy uh, with limited magic and heavy heavy world building. Um, the Ohio novel, which is a pantsed urban fantasy with absolutely no pre-world building whatsoever, and The Rose Sea with S.M. Sterling, in which he did the world building, and then I jumped in on what he'd built and uh, took my own little area, and I made characters and set them in my area and threw them, and we were writing chapters back and forth at each other and seeing how much trouble we could get each other in. So... Um, those, are, those are the books that I'm going to be going over. And uh, the first thing is that every single one of these books or series had a completely different process. Um, the Old Testament book was based on a specific book in the Bible. And uh, one character in that book, and pretty well, three characters in that book in the Bible. And all three of those characters had to fit the Bible. I had to do massive amounts of research on the cultures at the time. It was not set in, um, it was set in a, I'm trying to think of the word here. There were the, the, the Israelites, and then there were um, all the, the heathens, but I know it wasn't heathens at the time. It was pagans, yes, um, all of the pagan religions in, around the area. Um, and it was the main character started out as a pagan and in the book became um, married a, a, an Israeli or a, a, an Israelite. And so I had to have history right. I had to be very familiar with that book of the Bible. Fortunately, I was. Um, I had and then I had to build out a story because the, the, the main character um, was just very lightly touched on in spite of the fact that you know the story was about her she she was just little tiny bits and pieces in it and she was a damn hero but it was it was not you really had to dig to see it and so I built out all of these other characters around here her and this this guy
guy who was her first husband and just this this other stuff that was was you know these were all books that followed this basic format but i discovered that there was a really compelling story of heroism built into what was just this couple of notes you know i just just a handful of verses that really showed what she did with this when you had a character so so you were taking for all intents and purposes a historical figure mm-hmm. with with very limited amount of detail regarding that historical figure mm-hmm. in order to be the most accurate you could be without any actual documentation on her life yeah you had to research heavily into that that era mm-hmm. and then also into the religions or the beliefs at the time right you created a character and a series of other characters that might possibly have not been in the Bible? Oh, mo- almost all of them weren't. I mean, okay. there was. I had to build out an entire tribe of pagans. And I did use the actual one of the actual pagan religions that was alive at that time, so as not to make it... Com- but, but there's very little detail on it, so I had to make a lot of stuff up. So this is all very intriguing because this is... This is- a very specific process used for a very specific type of, of book. Yes. Yes. And I had to be true to the spirit of the thing. I had to be respectful of the religion. Um, I had to be respectful of the characters. I had to accept the Bible as the, the absolute um, authority on this particular story. I couldn't go in with my own personal opinions about these things I had to be somebody else while I wrote this and it was very important to the integrity of the book that I do that Um, there is a place in your brain where when you have to be you can be somebody else and you can stay inside of that that place this um but the the cool thing too is that you were using somebody else's formula. It had to fit a very specific um, formula of that book type. Right, it did. But I remember when you were writing it and everything, you also did not break your own convictions. Right, right. Which is important to note that when when you're looking at other things to write, yes, you can write from beliefs that aren't yours i think that's that's a very important part of being a writer is understanding that the villain is going to have very very different beliefs than yours but you from the villain's perspective have to look at it as a as a something to respect Mm -hmm. if you're writing as the villain who has these specific beliefs writing it as respected and as true as the truth is important to having a really deep villain so it's the same thing for you is going into this this book it helped that it, it was, was... It, it was essentially a historical novel mm-hmm. you know that because i am okay with history and i wasn't there so i can take that source and use that source as true history which was the thing that um that i needed to do in order to complete the book that had been that i'd been hired to write yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, I was. I I did not um, put anything in there that was against what I think. It was just 
I, I, it was a, 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 the best historical novel I could write about a biblical period. Yeah. And uh, I'm, I am still very proud of it. Can't tell anybody what it was, but I am still very proud of it. <laughs> yeah. So that was one process. Um, and I did have a very, very specific beat-by-beat beat outline that I used for that because I had to hit the stuff that was in the Bible. I had to hit each of these points. Um, I had to fill in on the places where there was nothing. So that was a very tightly outlined book uh, that was written to a very tight deadline. And uh, it was... <laughs> if you have any questions about this specific book or how to do this specific process, um, let us, you know, find the, the podcast thread for this episode and go in there and ask. But when it comes to this, there, there are limitations on what Holly can discuss. I don't think she can really answer questions such as, well, how do you, how did you get the offer or how did you push you know oh, yeah the offer just came through my agent work? so yeah yeah so it's it's nothing that she can especially nowadays because this has been a long time ago that she wrote this novel so it's not something that would necessarily be relevant this isn't about how to find these kinds of works it's, right this is only about process so if you have questions about process because <laughs> that's a lot of work having to create um these fictional things within the non-fictional historical period. But again, limitations are really, really good for your creativity. Yes, they are. Yes. And, and to be able to write something that is very, that far outside of who I am and have it do that well and have it be something that I can still be proud of today. Yeah. I'm, I'm really happy about that. Um, <laughs> so what's the next book? Okay. The next one is Minerva Wakes. And Minerva Wakes uh, started out with a pantsed scene in which I had a, a woman who was grocery, grocery shopping. Uh, she was a mother. Uh, her, she had a babysitter at home with the kids while she was out grocery shopping before a blizzard started. And she came around the corner, and the last box of cereal that she had to get that was specifically requested by her husband because it was the only thing that he would eat was being taken at that moment by a dragon. And that book, which I... This, and hold on, okay. the dragon. Okay, so this is a woman who has led a normal life up to this point, right. a normal life that you and I have. There is not little gnomes or trolls mm -hmm. or dragons shopping at the local supermarket or beeping their horns at red lights nothing like that right right this is this is absolutely normal universe except that the dragon takes the cereal kind of knocks her down leaves and she doesn't see him again until she has managed to acquire some other stuff, has gone through the grocery line, and pulls out, and the dragon is in front of her, driving uh, a Mazda Miata, and with his head sticking out of the top, and the license plate says, I love virgins. <clears throat> and that's how, that scene I wrote in one go, with absolutely no idea where it came from, what I was going to do with it, what was going to happen next. So from that, 
um, I was still in my heavy, heavy world building phase. I built a heavy, heavy world. And I found out that I couldn't use it. So I pushed the heavy, heavy world aside and I just built out some scenes with what happens next. And I alternated between using scenes I had planned and jumping off of them into the scenes that were sort of spontaneous so that I would like maybe have an outline scene. I would write that scene. In the scene, something would happen that would break the next scene I had outlined. So then I would pants the next scene and maybe the next scene after that, and then I'd get stuck. So then I had to outline again. And I would, I, would do, I would do a little bit of world building. I would ask myself some questions about what I had built in the world so far. Um, uh, I, would, I would try and set some firm rules for, okay, well, if, if there can be dragons, if, there is, if they have to travel through worlds, how do they do that? And there turned out to be some massive consequences in if you travel from one world to another world, which is possible, you leave some really important shit behind. And uh, that had some absolutely devastating effects on the husband who started out being a cheating asshole and became a really good guy by the end. Um, it was, it, it was just, it was just this thing where I was bouncing back and forth from what I knew the very familiar outline process, which I had to that point used on almost everything, um, to doing this this sort of outline and then pants a bit, outline and then pants a bit, have stuff come out of the blue that just, just knocks me on my butt and I have to go off to the side and world build a little bit to understand what I have. But it was it was a weird book and it when I ended it, it was one that Bain wanted another one of and the process by which I had gotten there was so convoluted and so so difficult that I couldn't even figure out what another book in that world might be. So yeah. I turned them down on it, which I, yeah. I still feel bad about because if I could have figured it out, man, I would have loved to have done some more worlds in that, in that series. But I pretty much ended that one where I wanted to end it, I think. Yeah, you've, you've mentioned that several times over the, the times that I've, remember after you published it is is like I think that if it happened now you would be able to because you've had such a long time that if this was going to be something that you were self-publishing mm -hmm. and people really loved it and wanted more you would find a way to do it but at the time you weren't you were very happy with how Minerva wakes worked yeah how the ending was everything and you at that time you didn't even really want to go back into that into that world i didn't like i didn't yeah. i mean i loved the dragon that drive the miata i loved the chaymat that that horny evil creepy <laughs> i loved i i loved my characters i loved the kids i i loved the world um but again that I, I'm not sure that that is one I would want to continue in. I mean, even yeah, if people just love for you, one. yeah, yeah, for you it was it was a one off that really worked. Mm -hmm. Now with with the process of of this, this speaks a lot to people who have a scene come to them out of the blue, 
and they write it down and they love it (laughs) and they don't know what to do with it. So let's discuss how you work with this amazing scene that you have. How do you figure out where to go from there? Okay. Um, you, okay, let's start with, let's start, well, actually it was a bumper sticker. Let's start with the I Heart Virgins bumper sticker on the back of the Mazda Miata, which is the thing that stuck in Minerva's mind as she was trying to run this guy. She was, she was driving her family station wagon with the groceries in the back as fast as she could to keep up with the blue dragon driving a Mazda Miata. And then he took, he drove into her neighborhood, hung a right into a a dirt road and disappeared and she's and it was snowing and she thought look (laughs) i can either chase him or i can go and take the groceries home and maybe you know calm down and have some dip (laughs) and um so she went home and the consequences of her not following him were absolutely immense but i didn't know that yeah, right, because, I was going to say. Because then I'm going, okay, so she follows him home. Now what? And then I jumped to her husband. So I, I was telling this story in two points of view. I thought, okay, well, let me see what her husband's doing right now. And I found out that her husband was at work um, hooking up with the new girl at the insurance agency. And um, that he was – he called Minerva to tell her he wasn't going to be able to come home because of all the snow. Uh, He'd get there as soon as he could. So that left Minerva um, alone with the kids. And then the next magical thing happened to her. And I was asking myself, okay, so what can happen? Okay, so we've we've got her, and then I followed him, and then I got back to her, and it's like, oh, God, but now what? Now, yeah, so this is the important thing, is when you have that scene, that first scene that you've written, and you don't know what to do, what kind of questions should you be asking yourself? Because this is all about the process. Right. So then, I was I was sitting there, and I'm going, okay, so she's home alone. They're snowed in. What would be the worst thing that could happen now? And for a mother with kids... The most obvious worst thing that can happen is something happens to the kids. And I thought, okay, but it can't be, it has to be related to the dragon. It can't be somebody has a cold. It can't be somebody gets sick. It can't be somebody's puking on the floor. It has to be something related to a dragon driving a Mazda Miata that involves her three children. And I, I, I was bouncing things back and forth, and I thought, okay. Where did the dragon go when he went down that dirt road and just kind of disappeared? Because I, I, seriously, I had planned absolutely nothing on this. I didn't even know there was going to be a dragon in the grocery aisle. Uh, she came around the corner. I was just writing, and she was being pissed off at a coworker. And she came around the corner, and there was a blue dragon stealing her cereal. And I so I thought, okay, I, I know nothing about this. I know nothing about what she's doing or anything. And so I did a little bit of world building. I said, okay, well, the, this is a universe in which dragons are real, but it's our universe and dragons are not real in our universe. So what's the connection? There has to be some place where dragons are real. Okay, 
next thing. The dragon, when he left, had to go to that some place. All right, what do I do next? Okay, the kids have to end up in that some place because I have to get her there and she was supposed to follow him and she didn't. So now they something, something, and I don't know that it's the dragon. This is me thinking in the back of my mind. I don't mm-hmm. know that it's a dragon, but something has to get her to follow him into that other place somehow. And I don't know how yet, but, but the kids. So then I created a situation. I don't want to throw in any spoilers in case you want to read this. Um, I created a situation in which I got the kids into the other world. And there were dire, dire consequences from that. And the book just built from there. As, as she saw what was happening, as she chased, as her husband came home and found the kids and her missing, as, as police started searching, as he tried to explain to her parents, as all of this stuff started building on top of each other, and at the same time, she is now in the other world, and then she and her husband discover that they can sort of communicate with each other, and then more really bad shit happens, and he kind of, kind of loses it. And it's, and it's just this play back and forth where you're asking yourself, okay, how can I make this worse? How can I make this worse? And then you build a, a little bit of the world. You build a little bit of uh, piece by piece as you go. You start saying, okay, well, if this works this way, what are the limitations to it? If, if people can travel from this world to this other world instantly, what's the price? Yeah. What's the price? What, what cost do they have to pay to do this? And it was enormous. What effect does that cost have on the people who stay behind? And it was enormous. What, and you just, you have to be really mean. Yeah, that's that's one thing that I know a lot of uh, beginner writers have a problem with is asking themselves the right question and being willing to do the hard thing Mm -hmm. and being willing to really torture the characters. Now, I'm not saying all beginner writers have this problem. A lot of them find that that is where they have a lot of joy. (laughs) That's why they started this in the first place. Yeah. Yeah, some people, yeah. (laughs) But so basically everything from Minerva Wakes evolved from a rando dragon popping in and you asking your your questions like, okay, but w- taking it back to that first scene, mm-hmm. this is for the beginning writers who are, they, they have a scene they really love, but they don't know how to expand it into the world. The, the, the answer for that is to focus on what you love about the scene yes is it and this is what i'm getting from you focus on what you love about the scene focus on what surprised you and ask yourself questions that and you can ask yourself one question you can ask yourself 10 questions ask the questions until you get to the one that gives you an answer that you love correct yes well you actually have this exact series of questions that you ask and you don't have to you you, the the instant you get an answer you love you stop but 
you ask who, what, when, where, why, and how. And and how usually is how can I make it worse? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's, but sometimes it's just how does, in, in that particular scene, it was how did the dragon appear? How mm-hmm. um, did the dragon drive a Miata? Why a Miata? Um, what was, <laughs> what was on, his, on his bumper? Um, how did he disappear? And um, how does what happened in the grocery store affect my character? And once those little pieces of how just started dropping into place for me. Um, I didn't, I can't say that I got the whole book even. I had a hard time with that story all the way up to the end. Every little bit of it was trying to understand what needed to happen next and and building a scene at a time and trying to plan two or three scenes ahead and getting my ass kicked every single time I did it, but having a yeah. plan for the scene I was writing. And um, that was that was a learning experience for me because I had been very faithful to my process of having um, a small outline with each each chapter. You know, I had gone from the page per chapter outline. I had dumped that uh, a couple of years earlier. But I did have like a paragraph for mm-hmm. every scene that I wanted and uh, a little couple of little notes of the thing, big things that I wanted to accomplish in the scene. And that just did not work with that book. Yeah. It just didn't because every time I tried to get a little bit ahead, it kicked my ass. Now, one of the things that you had in your notes, which I thought was cool, was um, talking about using childhood fears. And I know that that for you is is there's no necessarily childhood fears in there for you. Well, I mean, there might be, but the one that I wanted to mention just as kind of like a throw throwback to my childhood is the one character is based on one incident and you remember it better than me. So why don't you tell it? Okay. Bring, give me back the, the man with purple. Oh my God. Yes. Oh Yeah. Um, that was in, Becky and I were out walking in our front yard, and our front yard was woods, and it had a little ditch in it, and it had a little bridge built over the ditch, and we were walking up to the bridge. We had little daffodils planted out in the woods and all this stuff, and it was spring, it was nice, it was really pretty, um, and she stopped, and she said she was not, she was maybe three, I think. Maybe. Yeah, that's what you've said yeah. before. Yeah, because cause Mark was still a baby. So you were maybe maybe three years old. Mark's still a baby. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> you're a mean sister. Yes. <laughs> um, and she said, uh, no, no. And she just balked. She was not going to walk over the bridge. And I said, why not? And she says, and she pointed under the bridge and she, she said, the man with purple eyes. And she said it with this absolute dead serious, scared to death voice. And she would not move further. And the hair on the back of my neck rose and the hair on my arms rose. And I had this little, it was like, what the hell? And I walked over and I, I said, look, there's no man underneath of there. And she's like, no man, no, no man with the purple eyes. No. Just to add a little bit of context, I was not a kid that that saw a lot of shit. I was a very happy, very cheerful, very playful child. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not given to uh, flights of fancy or whimsy. Pretty much, if if you said that was something had happened, it had happened. Um, 
and uh, this was this was a real little little earth shaker for for me right then was whoa where did did that come from and it just stuck in the back of my mind and that ended up in the book yeah yeah so that's that's also just the kind of thing is is pull from from your child's crazy and creepy antics yeah and <laughs> and uh, two of the three kids were were my kids in the book the the youngest um came along uh, like 16 years later so uh, <laughs> yeah so there was no no barney actually in our our lives at that time oh lord that was his name i think it was yeah i think i named barney. him barney yeah <laughs> um okay so what is the next book okay so the next book well the next is a twofer was supposed to be a threefer it was talon and hawksbar it was going to be talon hawksbar and redbird and then my editor did just atrocious things to uh, Hawksbar that had to be fixed. And that were my, my one instance of having to go to war over a book. Yeah, and I think we've discussed this in a previous episode. If you guys, if anybody uh, remembers, put it in the forum notes or in the forum apply so that I can put it in the show notes because I have no idea. But I remember very... Uh, us going into a lot of detail on that yeah. but so let's start with um, I guess how this process works yes okay well Talon Hawksbar and Redbird were set in a high fantasy world um, very limited magic of a very specific kind um, it could do big things but there were only specific kinds of big things that it could do um, uh, I had, it was my, my protagonists were a horse culture. Uh, they were, uh, nomadic. Well, no, they weren't really nomadic. They had towns. They had, they had nomadic soldiers, but they they had basically built towns. Uh, I had done an enormous amount of culture building, an enormous amount of religion building, um, uh, enormous amount of language building. And in this one, in this instance, I used it all, man. I had an entire world map. I had routes plotted out. I had trade routes. I had war yeah. routes. I had... <laughs> when you read it, it's not, it's not boringly done either. There's no info dumps. There's nothing like that. Every bit of the culture is, is part in the scene. It's, 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 it is a wonderful example of show don't tell. It is, a an amazing two the two books are amazing in and this is me talking not not mom but I, I love reading it because it's very immersive you get in there and you feel the world you feel the religions you feel the politics you 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 really can see from from both points of view of the the two protagonists um you feel deeply, deeply involved in the world. And I love it because the religion is, is so specific. And, and while you talk about the limitations of the magic, the price is constant. It is, it is a constant um, show of the dangers of magic, mm -hmm. of the price that it, it costs these different people, of the the difference in uh, stature of people who have magic, the the price that it costs their family. Yeah, 
and it and it it's if you have not read Talon, if you have not read Hawksbar, and I'm gonna throw in Hawksbar also has pirates and stuff. So yes, it does. <laughs> they if you have not read them, they are wonderful examples of what you can do with immense amount of world building without telling. So if this is something that you are into, if you are into world building, um, and you you have a problem with info dump or exposition. I would definitely say read Hawksbar, read Talon. Um, they are just really, really wonderful examples. And in and, and just the first scene, you can see how a show don't tell shows that the, the magic users are military, how their world is set up, how limited the the uh, electronic, you know, capabilities is. It's not really electronics. It's it's how how the basic functions of the world are set up. Mm -hmm. How the military is, and which are magic users. How the military is respected by people who normally don't respect people who are walking where they shouldn't be walking <laughs> and during a certain time of night. I mean, it, it also shows how differently the military thinks and and the options available to them so i'm telling you like it is the the amount of world building that she did and the lack of info dump is really really stellar thank you thank you i i, I kind of i am a little heartbroken i have those books the rights have reverted to me um they are very very hard to find right now because the only available versions right now are print uh i have already i have the books done uh in my own versions uh they the editing and has been done and they're just sitting on my hard drive because i haven't been able to get them out into print yet so they are into into ebook into ebook e form i haven't i it, i mean they're basically ready to go they are in manuscript format already debugged ready to go but uh, i have specific things i want for the covers um i have a specific they're they're so they're sitting and they're waiting and they are you know they will get out there they're just not there yet uh, okay so what I need to to present as the really valuable thing that I have to offer from Talon and Hawksbar aside from the back the fact that I did just build a shit out of that world man um, and I have pieces of the world building up on web, my website that Becky can actually link to for in the the show notes show notes but yeah. Um, it, the thing that she mentioned that I think is really important is how I use the world building, and I can kind of explain that to you. Um, I built the crap out of religion because this, the my protagonist heroine's um, point of view, she has this enormous family that she loves dearly, and they all get together and they all do stuff together. And because she is in the military, she has she is kind of separated from them a lot of the time. And so she gets to go home for dinners. And one of the scenes I have is, is um, well, she was, it is, it is this huge family-based culture. And she can't have kids. Um, and I kind of, kind of blew the ending on that one. Um, <laughs> that's how I feel, yeah. but I know a lot of people, like you, you said that you, 
you wanted that ending? I wanted that, that ending because I thought it was a kind of a hopeful and joyful ending. And it turns out that it isn't for an awful lot of people. But um, it, I, the scene that I am thinking about is they're all sitting at the table and talking. And it was a scene that I pulled from my own childhood sitting at a family table at my grandparents' house where um, the, everybody was just talking about family and talking about culture, the just, just things that were going on in their lives. And it was this minutia of little bits and pieces of people's work and little bits and pieces of who's, who has kids and who has new horses because horses are very, very important in this, this series. And I love horses. And um, it, it's just, it's this kind of back and forth. The world building that went into that was mammoth. But the scene is just people sitting around the table talking and my main character having this moment of, oh no, here it comes. And it comes because this is what is expected. This is the situation. This is this. And it was all built into the world building, but it just became this little conversation that has all of this import that comes back later and that comes back again later and that comes back again even later than that. Just this casual shit they're talking about sitting at the table. And the re- just to just to note, her family does not know she cannot have kids. No. She has spared them that amount of information. Yeah. Um, yes, because it is and they're pushing her to, you know, get have, settle down have husband settle down have kids do this stuff they don't know what she knows and she can't tell them because it would be devastating to her and it it has some ramifications in social status too that mm-hmm. would affect her after she gets out of the military if she ever gets out of the military which is not a given at the beginning of the book and there's a lot of information that you pick up on in just that scene about how military families, because remember military is magic, military families are expected to have children. They're expect that this is part of their military duty, mm-hmm. that that certain um, members of their family, that the children that they have will have abilities. And that is part of like a deferment yeah. is that they get to not do the magic anymore if they are breeding <laughs> other magic creators, you know, magic users. Yeah. or Because not everybody is born with that talent. So then the military gives them a certain amount of credit or whatever for each child that they can take in. Again, mammoth, as mom says, <laughs> mammoth amount of world building. And it is fascinating and it is I don't know how many times I've reread that book specifically because it is just it's almost like this this really neat fictional textbook and also I love historical fiction and I it it comes across as that and this is one of the better books that I've ever read that has a lot of world and depth into it now getting back to the religion which you mentioned Mm -hmm. There are so many different versions of <laughs> paths that w- even just the one religion can take. Yeah. 
And there are people's um, approaches to their religion that uh, vary from being studious students of your particular path to basically talent. throwing talent to basically throwing a dart at a dartboard and saying, "Okay, there's my answer. That's what I'm going to do." For Padma. one of her friends, um, yeah, Padma. Yeah, <laughs> yes, I I love that character. And this is this is also a book where if you want to see an evolution of a character, Padma is very interesting, but. Again, I don't want to get too much into my fangirl status of Talon, <laughs> so I'll try to 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 refrain from from suggesting that you guys read it anymore. Because really, I mean, I I wish I could just lend my copy to people, but I'm you know nobody's touching that. I actually have two or three copies of it, <laughs> but it's it. So when you're when you're looking at the process. There is a certain amount of <laughs> doing. So this is one of those exceptions to your don't overbuild rule. Right. So again, there is no one true way. But with this process, Holly overbuilt the shit out of this. Oh, yeah. And it paid off. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I had words. Languages, too. Yeah. I built, And the languages added to the conflict because when you have people who speak different languages there are certain concepts that can be expressed in one language that cannot be expressed in another language so there is built-in misunderstanding and um my two characters uh the the protagonist and the and her future love interest uh, are from different cultures they are warriors of different cultures they are enemies he is taken captive by her people, and she ends up saving his ass. And it's and they end up falling in love, but it is a it is not a given. It is not an easy process, and they both have philosophical differences based on the worlds they live in, the governments they serve, the religions they believe, um, what they expect out of life. And he's not religious. She is. Yeah, which is what I was going to say. Yeah. yeah. No. And, but even, even like, you can see the difference in philosophies, too, in that, you know, when he is taken captive, they're, they're um, I'm not going to go into detail, but there's reasons why people are very unhappy with him. Um, and the ad attack by her people on him, which is very... It shows the difference in people. It shows like the the way people attack nowadays as like on social media or something and other people stand up for the other person and and this is this is an instance where she stood up for the prisoner who was being treated wrongly and got the crowd to disperse. And that that's just it it shows the depth of the world building and the character building in this situation. Yeah. And I had to know and, all of that stuff. And yeah. I, I had to. It was essential to the building of the world. So how long did you spend building the world before you started actually writing the book? About a month. Uh, I okay. gave myself a time limit. I knew I wanted to <laughs> I knew I wanted to be writing in this world for the rest of my career. Yeah. Again. And I knew it was going to be a good world. So I spent about a month. I, and in that month, I built a world map. I built a local map. 
I built out the details of a town map uh, for the main, uh, I th- what was it, Bealtac? Um, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. That there's there's different cities, and also there's a different philosophy between the ones who live in the cities and the ones who are nomads. Mm-hmm. There is a certain amount of conflict between them. Yeah, even though they're the same type of person. Oh yeah, because there are there are Tonks and then there are Tonks, and <laughs> there are and there are yes some conflicts between the 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 ones who are pure and the ones who have fallen into a solid house. Um, lazy slacker ways, uh, instead yes, of which is according to to the nomad talks. Right, yeah, exactly. So back to the process. So you so, built these maps, right? I built the maps. From the maps, um, I got the letters that allowed me to build my um, reductionary alphabetization languages. Um, which I'm just going to put a plug. I'll put an. Um, a link in the show note uh, to both of these things. We do a very, very basic version of this in language and culture episode mm-hmm. where you can start to build your own language and your own culture with just 10 letters or shapes or however you want to do it. 10 words. Sorry. Yeah, I think it was, yeah. I think it was 10, but um, yeah, so, so that is there. But if you want to go into depth, the language clinic is under 10 bucks and it's amazing. I freaking love it. The culture clinic is also under 10 bucks. So I'll put those in the show notes too. Go ahead. You built your okay. language. Yes, I built the language <clears throat> and I discovered process, through the process I teach, um, I discovered the uh, conflicts between them. In I, I identified words that could not be translated from one language to the other because the concepts, concepts. did not yes. exist. So and this is this is like deja vu. Mm-hmm. We we don't have a word for that. It is a concept that we understand, but it is so that that's what she's talking about is building concepts. And this is something that we went into in the episode, which has a free download that you, we don't need your email. Yeah. But building a concept that does not exist in other languages, other cultures. Yeah. Using yeah. a word. And so I built. I built from concepts that don't exist. I centered pieces of the religion. Uh, and pieces of the other government philosophy around those concepts so that built into the story there are these core areas where these two warring cultures have been fighting each other for I think five or six hundred years at the time that the story starts. They have been at war that long because they are incapable of understanding what are the essentials that matter to the other people Mm -hmm. and um they they are unwilling to bridge that gap to learn enough about each other to fix this shit until a third enemy comes in and but that's the story yeah, and getting right. back to okay. the process of the world the building process of the world building then <clears throat> is that as you build these little pieces you start seeing places where things can go wrong and you don't want things to go right you want things to go bad you want them to get worse. You want them to get impossible. They, you want them to. You want your people to be just going absolutely nuts. And yeah. I found all of that just from the maps and the languages. And well, from from the languages, then and the concepts, then there was what religion mm-hmm. or the politics. How did you go from language? Where what was your next? Step? Well, that's it. Because once you know what concepts they hold. Um, that are not translatable to each other, you can build out a religion on that or you can build out a government on that based on culture. 
where this is this is the way we do things. This is our culture. Um, this is um, what matters to us. And culture is is the last step of the process where first you get um, your concepts and then you get your language um, and then you get your your culture. And, and culture, religion, or government is part of that. That's all culture, yeah. Whether it's a religion or a government or a combination of the two or a bunch of them within a larger society, which is what I did with my out-of-town tonks and my in-town tonks. Um, mm-hmm. And with uh, various conflicts going on over on the other side. I, and the third culture, where, which were mediators who came in and were working back and forth with the other two cultures. And, and, and they have their own magic and right. they own their own form of magic yeah. that is evolving in their own um, philosophies and culture. And yeah, so, so all of this world building was the process for this book. Right. So if you are a world builder, if you are a... Tolkien-esque, insane, <laughs> mammoth world builder first. Like, maybe your process is to take a month and really delve into this using whatever starting point you have. Try to go through and figure out what kind of 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 conflicts you can have. Maybe do the, the language where you come up with these concepts that don't have, have a, a word in other cultures. Um, is there anything left on Talon and Hawksbar that you want to talk about when it comes to the process? Well, yeah, okay, so we start with, with building the world, then we start with building the language, then we start with building the cultures. And once you have those things in place, then <laughs> I figured out my conflicts. And I went through and I had um, on index cards a big fat stack of them scene by scene what was going to happen in that scene the big thing the big conflict that was going to happen and who were the characters who were going to be important in that scene and with very very few exceptions in that book I was able to use that that index card outline and work my way through it and write the chapters that I needed without my my right brain going off in its own and and doing its crazy little stuff r- running off off it, it was willing to work with the outline which was very nice your right brain was not fighting the outline the the left brain kind of insisted upon right. no with with hawks bar if you read that it's really really fascinating because it has a completely different feel than than talon but you can tell it's of the same world. There is a deeply, deeply religious beginning to it. And it's beautiful and detailed and very odd. And I love the the touch of how these these women get chosen. And and it also has the the political touch to the religion where the people in charge is supposed to be very religious based. It's supposed to be magic based, but it's not. It's it's individual trying to take power through the religion, and it's it's really cool to read that. And that that was built from this process. Exact same process. So, yep. Yeah. Um. So what is the next book? that because i know we could like this is the kind of shit that that started the podcast holly and i would just talk about how she did things or what i was doing at the time to build things and she would help me out and 
this we could talk for hours about just a single part of talent so that's why i'm trying to <laughs> make this more of an interview format makes this more of a relaxed fit format where where i have to kind of rein in the, the the specific topic because we could talk for hours on one point of writing and and not be finished and come back the next day and do it again yeah. so yeah. what is the next book okay so the next book is going to be the ohio novel the one i'm doing right now um and the process for this, again, was just completely different. This one. So let's let's hold on. Let's look at the the first book that you talked about was the one with the NDA, mm-hmm. where you had a very very specific formulaic look to the story, mm-hmm. where you had a very very specific um, philosophy, religion, characters mm-hmm. that were incredibly limited, mm-hmm. and. And this very linear thing you had to do. So that was book one. Right. Book two was Minerva Wakes, which was a crackhead muse yeah. popping up with a dragon out of nowhere. Yeah. And it was this struggle to always keep finding the the path to the story and the end. Right. Talon was massive world building. Mm-hmm. Talon and Hawksbar, and hopefully the future Redbird, was just this massive amount of world building and within that, you found your 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 conflicts. You found your philosophies, your stories, your religion, mm-hmm. your your characters. And then I outlined and stuck to the outline. Yes, and the outline <laughs> this time was not paragraph by paragraph. It was not page by page, which is something that you used to do. Right. It was scene by scene. information on index cards. Mm-hmm. This big, fat, thick stack of index cards right. that you were able to stick with. Now we are looking at the Ohio story process. Right. The Ohio novel series. Exactly. Yes. And the Ohio series process, or the Ohio novel, first novel, um, I, I showed up, I sat down, and I wrote shit. And I was drawing from, at the time, I wrote the whole thing in first draft in South Florida without having seen Ohio for 40 years. Um, and this is after Dead Man's Party, which is the book that you completely pants. Right. So I then completely pants the Ohio novel. Um, I had I I didn't know who my characters were. I they just showed up. Uh, I just started writing. What? Hold on. Let's clarify. She did not pants in the way that that many pantsers do. She did not pants the way Stephen King does. She she pants the the general story, but she did plan a few scenes ahead of time right okay yeah, just yeah. Need, well, it, it's kind of like a a, a one-third plotting two-thirds pantsing okay yeah um yeah i did i would write down um a couple of scenes ahead a sentence uh what i call a line for scene which has protagonist versus antagonist in a setting with a twist and i would have that little sentence and i would do maybe three or four of those ahead but that was it that was, yeah. and I had no idea how it was going to end. I had no idea going in who was going to be in it. I had, I had a house in mind. It turns out to be the house that we bought. But when I wrote the story, we hadn't, we hadn't done anything more than just talk about, hey, well, why don't we move to Ohio? 
So yeah, this is kind of like manifesting your your future it is. through. Yeah. It is because I gave I gave the house a front porch. I gave it a basement. I gave it an upstairs with three bedrooms and a bathroom. I gave it you know just this little three room downstairs thing, and aside from an additional bathroom that we happen to have downstairs on the back, which is really good because the plumbing in the upstairs bathroom doesn't work. Um, <laughs> it's. Um, it is, it is the house I wrote. It is laid out the way. And I wrote the place before we, we found this house. I wrote, I wrote the Ohio novel. I had everything set up. But it was, I was just writing my childhood. I was writing, I was writing this woman who goes back home after having left when she was somewhat younger than I did. And it is an urban fantasy. It is, there is very specific very limited magic in it that I think is just cool as hell but this was a case of writing a passion and my passion turned out to be Ohio which I hadn't even allowed myself to think about since pretty much I was 19 years old because uh, it didn't look like I was ever going to make it back and the second I let that genie out of the bottle oh my god God, um, mm-hmm. I was writing this town, this town, the town we live in now, as the center of the place. It was because I had loved it when I lived here when I was 11 years old and 12 years old. So how does this relate to process? This is, the process here is that there really wasn't a hell of a lot of process. This was pulling pulling something that I dearly loved out into the light after having it buried for 40 years and discovering that far from having died, it had grown wings. <laughs> and it just yeah. took a really long damn time to hatch. And um, the, the process was sit my ass in the chair and write. And I wrote the first, first novel in, what, a month and a half? Something like some. that. Now you had some details on on the show notes for, that are internal show notes that I wanted you to get into. Um, I think that like the childhood fears was in there. Oh my God, There's yeah. some other things too. So if you want to, yeah. Um, this was. <laughs> there is this crazy little moment when I was six or seven years old, where uh, it was requested of me by my mother that I go down in the basement and get something that was stored down there. Our basement was dark. It had a pull chain, single bulb light in the middle of the the basement so that you had to walk down into the dark and then you had to walk to the middle of the basement and you had to feel around for the string and pull down the string in order to turn on the light. And it was both scary and exhilarating to do that because when you're six, seven years old, there are still monsters in the world and you're pretty sure some of them live in the basement. In this book, some of them do. <laughs> but there was, but that, that thing that was in there from the time I was this little kid came popping back out the second I sent my character down into the basement and something happened. Okay, so from from what I'm gathering here, process for this book is heavily personal. Yes. It is pulling entirely from your history, from your childhood imagination, from your childhood memories, from things that you absolutely are passionate about and love and have experienced. And 
and from one other thing. This mm-hmm. is also pulling from my experience uh, as an ER nurse, which um, was a tough, grim, difficult, heartbreaking, risky, scary job that I loved. I absolutely. And this is this is not a nurse protagonist. This no. this protagonist is actually a policeman. Right. Yeah, she's a cop, and um, the one of the things that I discovered as an ER nurse is that ER nurses and cops have an awful lot in common. We see the same people. Uh, we see them pretty much before and after in the same situations. Yeah, we we get them at their absolute worst and sometimes at their absolute best. Um, it is a dangerous job. Um, having been grabbed once, having had a guy pull a knife on me once, um, having had had various crazy people doing various crazy things, um, and being exposed to stuff that's coming in and being, it's just, it is a dangerous job. And being a cop, nobody, nobody doubts that's a dangerous job. Everybody knows that's a dangerous job. But there are similarities. You, you're, the, the cops and the nurses know each other because the cops are frequently following the patients in in the ambulance because the thing that brought made the patient a patient is the thing that got the cops to the scene and got the patient to the hospital. Yeah. Um, it's, it's like there's this really intertwined thing. So essentially I am writing um, my character. She, she, is, she is a cop being written by a nurse. Um, but I, and I do have one person, a friend of mine who does this job, who, what Holly calls a spy. Yes. My spy, uh, who is, I'm going to give her the book when I'm done with it and have her make sure I didn't make any really stupid mistakes. Um, I did make one stupid one that she pulled, pulled out for me when I let her read the first chapter. Um, that it, it is, it is this combination of little me and big me as somebody who isn't me, but she kind of is. And that's a valid way to write a story, too. I mean, you have to put enough distance between yourself that you're not writing out a biography. Yeah. And I was very careful about that. Um, she is an orphan and has been an orphan since she was 12 years old, and the situation that got her into that was horrific. She has had a rough life since. So when, when it comes to process, spies are part of the process. Yeah. And since we had to bring up one particular one, so why don't you go into a little bit more detail on spies? I don't remember which. I think it was How to Think Sideways. Yeah. That the first, yeah, yeah, that was the yeah. one. That's one of her bigger courses. Again, I'll link it in the show notes. But this is we're we're still gonna go into to spies and stuff. So right. let's let's talk about that because that is definitely <laughs> part of a process. Yes, it is. Um, the rule is that no matter how much you know, there are people who know more. Um, last, last girl standing or last girl dancing, that's a really good example of, of using a spy. Yes. Um, I had a, I called up a number of different people and said, hey, you know, can you help me out with this? What would, th- what would this character do in this situation? And people are awesome. If you're a writer and you yeah. say, look, uh, th- I need this for a book. I just need to know. Am I getting this right? I called up a lawyer, and the lawyer took my call, answered, didn't charge me, just answered the question. 
Um, the now this is for uh, Ohio series. No, the lawyer, right? No. Oh, okay. The last girl dancing. I was thinking of the cops, the strippers. Right. I didn't even think about a lawyer. Yeah, there yeah. were the, a lawyer, uh, strippers, cops, um, uh, and a detective. I called mm-hmm. up a private detective, and he he gave me about fifteen minutes of his time. Was very very succinct, very helpful. Um, I gave everybody who helped me out credit in the in the acknowledgments because, but because there are things you don't know. I didn't. I knew shit about being a stripper, uh, in Last Girl Dancing, but uh, I found out, and uh, I found out that there's a hell of a lot of skill involved in it, and that it too is a risky and dangerous job. Um, mm-hmm. But on the Ohio novel, there there and on all of these things, you are going to need people who genuinely know. You, you're not going to want to wing it. You're not going to think, hey, you know, my dad taught me to shoot when I was six years old. And I've been, you know, I, I have, uh, I am, you know, good at this and I know how to do this. So I'm going to put it in the book. And then you find out, well, no, <laughs> everything you thought you knew is not the way cops do it. You know, you, you might be great at hitting a target, but that's not, this is, this is the way cops do this. And the vast majority of cops never have to draw their guns in their entire career. But by God, Mm -hmm. they've got them. And by God, they practice. And they know how. And in a situation, they can use them. But that's not what happens first. Yeah, there's a certain concept and process that goes behind a cop's mindset versus someone who is maybe a prepper. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. So, So you've got all of these different things that you don't know. So then you ask yourself, who does know this? And then <laughs> you set out the exact handful of very specific questions for which you need answers because you do not want to just sit there and ramble on and mm-hmm. ask people, you know, and take an hour or two of their time. You know, if I had done that, um, the lawyer would not have been willing to speak to me. I had one question. Or he would have charged you. Oh, yeah, or, yeah, or either way. But the, he was very, I explained, I had, I'm on a deadline. This is my publisher. This is the book. Uh, this actually goes much, much better if you're working commercially at the time. But, um, and I have this one question, can you let me speak to a lawyer? And the, the woman put me right through and he said, okay, yeah, what's your question? And I asked him the question. He said, oh, wow, that's a really interesting question. Holy shit. And he said, okay, let me see. And he flipped through a book and he found an answer and he gave me the answer and pew, there it was. Um, it's what questions specifically do you need to know? And the, one of the questions I needed to know is, you know, if you're off, off duty, what do you do with the gun? If you're a cop and you're off duty, where's the gun? Um, you know, if where's, what are your, what can you do in that situation? What can you do when you're not just out of town but out of state and something bad happens and you're a cop and you have your gun you how do you deal with that and this was all stuff that i needed to know and this was all answers i got because people are awesome <laughs> yeah well and and remember like it, it it helps if you have uh this huge bibliography that you can point to where you've been published but this is something that somebody who is not published can do too you just have to be careful to do exactly what holly is saying and and if you don't know what you need answered right away Keep writing Find out. and take yeah. notes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. And then just be very specific. And if you don't like phones, try try emailing people. Um, 
explain, you know, you can make a copy paste part of your thing, giving the small details, giving what you intended. I intend to self-publish this, but it's this, or you don't even have to say you intend to self-publish it because that might turn some people off because self-publishing is still somewhat looked down on. Yeah. But um, you starting off with the, the I am an author and I am looking for assistance is a really good way to open doors. It is really crazy because a lot of people, and we've talked about this in the past, a lot of people want to write. Mm -hmm. A lot of people think that they want to write. A lot of people have these ideas. And when they see somebody else doing what they want, yeah, some people are dicks because they can't do it, but the vast majority of people want to help. Yeah. They want, they, they would love their name in the acknowledgments and they also want to help a writer. They they want they they think it's awesome. They get they they have knowledge that this person doing this really cool creative thing needs and doesn't have and and they can be a part of it. Yeah, you know. And the flip side of this and it is a useful thing to mention is everybody and I mean everybody has had this experience. You do a thing, you see you read a book where somebody in the book does that thing or you see a movie where somebody mm -hmm. does that thing and they do it wrong and you flip out this i grew up in a house and i married a man <laughs> who so so both on mom's end and matt's end there were military issues that you would hear all the time most importantly anything that had any sort of medical thing ever regardless of what it was or how much we might have liked it I heard shit about, you know, EMTs don't do that. I heard shit about that's not how the nursing stuff does. That's not how the ER works. That's not how this happens. And and I, I grew up in a house where it was constant barrage of that's not how this works. And then I married a man who, <laughs> who like, is now an EMT and a firefighter. And it's just constant. Any show we watch, it's always why is the firefighter in full gear to get a fucking cat out of a fucking tree. <laughs> yeah. That's not how this works. Yes. Yes. And because that's what you see. Yes. Yes. Always. That's seriously. Yes. Because that's how, and I try to tell him, okay, they are limited. It's not that they don't, don't, you know, have consultants. It's that they have to show this as a firefighter. He's like, then have him wear a firefighter t-shirt. Yeah. He doesn't need the hat to get a cat out of a tree. He doesn't need to be wearing in the constant, you know, why do they, ha why are they pulling hoses for a, a control burn or, or why are they, you know, it's just, <laughs> and he has problems with the MT shows too. Like we'll watch the reality TV show. And I had a problem with one. We watched a reality TV show where a kid had a concussion and though the he said he was sleepy and the emt in the back said okay it's okay just go to sleep i flipped the fuck out because i was raised in a house with a nurse and i started screaming at the tv and tony was like wow i didn't even have to say anything i'm like yes. no you don't go you don't let somebody with a possible concussion go to sleep i was just railing on that woman yeah and that's that, but that's, that's so the point. This is your pitch as a writer. You go to the person who has the information you need. You say, look, I have seen so many people who do X that get it wrong in books and movies. I don't want to be 
that person please help me? This mm-hmm. is my one to three questions. How do I get this right? People will be amazing for you because like you, they have had their job, whatever it is, shit on by morons. Yes. And just once they would love to see somebody get it right. Mm-hmm. Be that somebody and let them help you be that somebody and give them credit for helping you be that somebody because they then they get to be in a book. Yeah. And and they get to be part of the solution. Yes. Which is a really cool thing and like it's something that I know that they will be proud of for, you know, for a long time is like I got to, I, anytime they see something, that exact situation in a TV show, or they read that situation in a book, they'll be like, ha, you know what? <laughs> yeah, this sucks. They got it wrong, but I helped somebody get it right that one time. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just, it's just one of those, those, those little tiny things that make you feel better, um, as a, as a person to, to have, have been part of, of that solution. Yeah, and they get to carry that around for the rest of their lives. That's that's yeah. a thing they got to do that they get to keep because yeah. my God, they got it right because of me, and it's yeah, true. It's, it's, it's almost like when you play Skyrim and there's all or Oblivion or any of the Elder Scrolls things, and there's all these side missions that are kind of like little achievements. That's that's one of a that's a, a little side mission that many people don't even think of yeah. until they run into that character who needs the help. So that's spies. Um, what other kind of process? process is like things are you going through when it comes to the Ohio series now uh I am walking around the town well um you know not currently but uh I have been spending some time walking around the town and looking at buildings scouting locations um I have been I I wandered through the library and and because that's a location uh I wandered through just looking at all of the different businesses looking at things so this is the flip side of world building yeah this is this is another part of world building and something you can do if you're setting something vaguely in a, a location that is it's similar based on her. Yeah. yeah, it's similar. It is. Well, you know, for me, it's the place. But for everybody else, it doesn't have the same name. And mm-hmm. and but I'm looking at things like, well, how many of the roofs on the houses around here are still slate? The answer is lots of them. You know, how many houses were built in the 1800s rather than the 1900s? Lots of them. Um, you know, what's it, what are the sidewalks? The sidewalks are exactly the way I remembered uh, when I was a kid. They were fun because they're all broken and cracked because it's cold in the winter <laughs> and the, the ice lifts up the pavements and tree roots planted along the street lift up the pavements. So if you're a kid and you're riding your bicycle along, you have jumps built right into the sidewalk. And I would, I had my route carefully planned for the worst parts of the sidewalk so that I could get up speed, head for the jump, do the jump, land, and then head up, swerve to the other side. And, you know, it was this, it was this road rally back in 1970 and 1970, 1971 and 1972 for me, you know, a bike thing on my, my, uh, little, little handlebar, high handlebar banana seat bike. And, and this is part of world building too, where, where you're finding things for potential conflict that you don't know about where you're looking around and you're walking around this neighborhood or this town and you see something that could potentially just, it, it's fodder for the imagination. Oh it could be a potential God. like, Ooh, that person, you are now in my books. Yes. E- even something like that. Yeah. Yes. Or that house, 
that house which the top part is falling apart the bottom part is all fixed up and there's one broken window oh yeah what's the story there my god one pane one pane old window broken top story why and it's yeah. just it's just this stuff that you live if if you are writing some version of the town you live in um just going around and walking around is part of the process just listening to people talk to each other in Walmart is part of the process. It is. You get you you forget the cadences of a language until you start listening to people you haven't heard since you were 11 or 12 years old. Or since you were, you know, in my case for Ohio in general, 19. Where mm-hmm. the language is different. The words are different. And as you listen and as you absorb these, you understand that this is a unique place in the world and no place else is like it. And that's stuff that you can bring in and tie into this book and get just little things like guys. Everybody to me is and always has been guys because I am from this part of Ohio. And it's, it is the gender neutral pronoun. Everybody is a guy. Yeah, I, I say dude. Yeah. Okay, so that's the Ohio novel. Let's move into the Sterling. No, the St- Sterling was his Steve name. Steve Sterling, the, yeah. Um, the Rose Sea collaboration. Rose Sea. Yes. Yes. Okay, so this is a completely different process. Th- and each collaboration is going to be different, oh, yeah. too, because her collaboration with um, L- L- Marion Z. Br- Z. Bradley, uh, Marion Zimmer Bradley, yeah. <laughs> the. the um, uh, Glen Raven books that was completely different because uh, Bradley was sick at the time and there's some some details on that yeah, which we're not but, going into but yeah um, but she's done a lot of collaborations and each one has been different so this is the process for this particular one right. one that I know that you enjoyed a, a lot right right and this was if you're this is the one kind of collaboration that was genuinely fun for me and and exuberant and week to week just bouncing back and forth because this was where <laughs> Steve and I were playing one up basically where he had built this beautiful world absolutely gorgeous big maps his maps he did apparently close to life size because <laughs> he had he had a map that he built that covered the entire floor with where his his continents were built out and stuff. Mine, I managed to keep on six sheets of typing paper taped to the other in the back. But his was big, really big. And uh, so he sent me some, some pictures of it. And he sent me all of his world building. And he said, okay, well, these are the places where, you know, what, what do you, what, you know, what kind of conflicts do you see? And then he would write a chapter and send it to me. I would read his chapter, make little fixes, in, you know, any spellos, typos, whatever, get my ideas from his chapter, and then I would write my chapter. I would Okay, s- so the start of this process is is a, a bit like fan fiction in a way, but it's not because you're creating your own content, but mm-hmm. it is working in another person's world. Yes. So the the process is you're walking into something that is already very well built. Yeah. Where there is a huge amount of world building done, mm-hmm. where there are established characters and established uh, philosophies and thoughts and religions and everything from his end. From his end, right. Right. Yes. And then you are given free reign on a section mm-hmm. to create your own work within certain limitations that you guys would have agreed upon. Right. And then 
you guys basically do a writer's version of a rap battle. Yes. Yes, exactly. <laughs> that is exactly is what amazing. it was. Because and this works really well if you're working with somebody that you like, I think. Yeah. I think if it if it's somebody that you don't or you don't have a certain amount of respect for, they don't respect you, this could get very this nasty get, this very This would quick. get nasty. But, yeah, <laughs> Steve, Steve and I both liked each other's work. And, and you were on the same level, roughly? Right. We were writing. We were. He, he had written more books than I had, but we were both comfortable world builders. We were both very comfortable with uh, how how worlds and cultures and stuff worked. We'd already been there and done that. So all we were basically looking for here was to bring, for me to establish my characters in the world that he had built, and it was his world. You know, that was, that was, it was his world, and I acknowledge that. My characters were my characters, but they were dealing with his characters, and we had the no killing of the main characters firm rule um and we didn't make that rule for important secondary characters which yeah yeah holly did a little bit of a faux pas here i did i had never collaborated this way with anybody before and uh steve had a guy that he had actually planned some additional stuff for only the guy when i was writing him was a dumbass and stood up in the middle of a firefight and got shot in the head and uh, I love his response. Yeah, what was his response? Did you, I was going to use him. I thought you said, well, he was annoying anyway. Yeah. Well, it was kind of that, too. Yeah. I mean, you've got to figure. <laughs> but, well, and that's the thing is he could have he could have taken it back. Well, he, he could have said, no. Yeah. You got to fix this because I was going to use him later. Right. But instead, he rolled with it, yes. which is the badass. This is the baller response right it here. Is. That is, was, it was just badass. It was. Well, it's like, all right, I guess that's life. <laughs> <laughs> and and we we were having a blast. Our objective was to send something so awesome to the other one that that they they couldn't find anything to fix, that they loved everything in the world, and that they started pulling in the stuff that we were doing. And, I mean, we had this, like, very vague outline of, you know, where it needed to end. And we got there. But So you had an ending. Yeah, kind of. We had a very, very small, thin... Okay, well, by the end of the book, we need to be here. They need to be doing these things, basically. That was it. Because this was intended to be a long series that we were going to do together. <laughs> um, and, and, you know. Yeah. Shit happens. We, we've, we've discussed this on other yes, episodes. I'm have. sure you guys have heard well, it. Well, <laughs> it didn't sell as well as we had hoped. Yes. Me banging my head on the table. And this goes back. Uh, I will link in the show notes. There's going to be a lot of links. I will link in the show notes uh, Holly's um, episode. Well, our episode. But it's, again, mostly Holly. It, uh, talk on collaborations. <laughs> because it goes into detail about why collaborations are generally not a great idea. Right. Um, you make half and, the money and do twice the work is the big one. But Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and and both of the... the uh, writers that there are certain detriments to both of them even the one with you know the bigger following or whatever mm -hmm. so it's it's you know it's it's more of a lovable a love of a labor of love it really was um, and that was just such yeah. fun it was it was yeah. just crazy crazy fun um and you know i again all of the reasons for not doing it are still there but boy i love that one so um the the process there was just 
be awesome for one chapter, send the chapter to the other writer, let him be awesome for one chapter, send the chapter back to you, find and pick up all of the pieces from that person's chapter and bring them into your next bit of awesome. And just yeah, keep and everything it, it's tight. a neat. Yeah, and it's a neat way to work too because then you're getting surprises that you didn't create, that the muse didn't create. Like the muse is getting a constant source of fresh material and fresh surprises where where I mean if you're if your muse can even be surprised at shit, oh, yeah. that's pretty cool. Oh yeah, that and that's wonderful fun and that's playing that is playing the game on hard mode. But at the same time, just having a blast doing it. That's when you are working at that in that format. Um, then you are you are collaborating in hard mode. Yeah, and but. I wanted to say too, um, this is something that I think that you'll notice. There's like a theme of of this episode, and it and it's about relaxing the amount of control you have over process mm -hmm. this is probably one of the ultimate examples and i'm sorry thea is here so she's rubbing against the pop filter um but it's this is really an amazing example of letting go of that control yeah. because you've got another person writing and some of us we will never want to let go of the control of our worlds and our characters and and our writing and our words and somebody else comes in and kills off their freaking character and is like no i'm not working with you anymore but but this guy badass move okay damn you know I, I guess that's just life is that you have plans and then all of a sudden you're not alive anymore yeah well steve so. pretty much kicks ass he really does yeah so that 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 was just a i mean mad oh the uh, <laughs> mad props and respects for that for that reaction yeah. so is there anything else with process on the road seat no, I think I think with that we have pretty much covered a, a at least a decent overview of the different processes that I've used and and do one chapter and and then leap blind and yeah that's you know that's a process too and it, it's uh, you probably are not going to be able to duplicate that with yourself unless you are you have two if you have multiple personalities and one's writing one side and one's writing the other side you can do that. For the rest well, of us, there's, yeah. yeah, there's there's a lot of people in the forums. Um, uh, most of them are people that have been with you for a very long time. Mm -hmm. Some of them are writing together. Yeah. Um, I think Grumpy Gods is a series uh, by one of our one of one of your your people. Yeah, that's our That's guys. one of our listeners. Yeah. yeah. Who? Well, no. What I was saying is, I think Grumpy Gods is is a collaboration. Yeah. Yeah, and there's there's other things too that a lot of our our people used to be uh, DMs, which is Dungeon Master, and they all seem to work together to create these worlds. So it's not that it's impossible; it's just very difficult to find someone that you are willing to work with and write with and create with and accept mm -hmm. when they do something that you would not have chosen to do. Yeah, you really you really have to enjoy working with the person you're working with. It genuinely has to be fun to show up every time you get you get the words that 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 mm -hmm. the, the new chapter comes in. You're excited to read it. You are you know are thrilled with the twists, and you can bring something to the party 
with the next chapter and you don't screw up each other's work. That is a yes. major, major rule is that aside from typos and spellos and stuff like that, you live with what the other person wrote mm-hmm. and then you bring your stuff into it in the next chapter. And, you know, it's, it's a tough process. It, it requires a lot of trust. But, yeah, I was going to say. Yeah. But yeah, so that has been our episode on processes. Now, if you guys want to hear more about different processes that Holly has been through, again, she's got a lot of other books. Uh, some of them are not going to be easier to discuss, I think. But if you guys have, specific, if you want to hear more about this stuff, we can do another episode on processes. As I've said, I could talk all day with Holly about this. This is why this is more of an interview format than than the rest of the podcast. Even though all of it should probably be more more Holly less me. No, it even, shouldn't. Uh, yeah, I, no, it shouldn't. A lot. A, I just a, a lot of people have said that they they you know enjoy my perspective, but at the same time, it's like I, I want to hear you speak about <laughs> your stuff. So, yeah. But that's that's what Sundays are for. Um, if if you guys have any interest in another episode, let us know. Also, if you have questions about these specific processes, please find the forum. Uh, find the podcast episode topic. It's about processes. This episode, go ahead and put your questions in there. If there are enough questions, we might do a follow-up episode covering just those questions. But we might be able to just answer in the in the forum thread in the episode thread about we might just be able to answer your question there also if you want it to be just me and holly answering their questions either put for holly for holly and rebecca for for rebecca for whatever it is that you want if you specifically say one of us everybody else will know not to answer if you have questions on other topics or questions that you think could be make for good episodes go ahead find the your questions and issues thread in the podcast and put in you know your question in there remember folks don't answer questions in that particular thread that is just for holly and myself to to go through and create episodes for folks we have a a takeaway i believe yes we do okay so i'm just gonna let you guys know follow us on twitter at aia R-W-I-P. Follow us on Instagram at Alone with Invisible People. Or you can follow Holly at Holly.L-I-S-L-E or myself at R-G-A-L-A-R-D-O. Those are all Instagram. You can follow us on Facebook. That is Alone in a Room with Invisible People. You you know what? If you want to help the podcast, you can either support us through coffee. That's K-O- that's ko-fi.com forward slash alone. You can support us. Um, there is a drop-down menu on our website at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com. On the top right-hand corner, I think it's 5 10 or $15. It's not a monthly thing. That's just a, if you felt like we gave you you know, a a lot of value for this episode and you want to help support the podcast, that's a way to do it. But honestly, just sharing. Sharing, telling other writers, um, sharing the episodes through your social media, giving us good reviews, giving us uh, the specific episodes, likes, or commenting on episodes. Remember, we also have a YouTube channel. It is Holly Lyle. Again, that's <laughs> that's Thea. That's L-I-S-L-E. You can look us up on YouTube if YouTube is a good way. And again, liking the episodes, commenting on the episodes, all that sort of stuff helps. It helps get us in the 
feeds of other folks who can come in and listen and also be part of this community. You can find the podcast topics at hollyswritingclasses.com in the forum. And if you want to purchase any of Holly's courses, they're all on that site, but she does prefer if you go through the links at alonewithinvisiblepeople.com because that both supports her, it supports the podcast with the affiliate links, and it also does not cost you anything else. Right. And again, I I just want to remind you guys, the affiliate program is open to any of Holly's students. So if that is something you're interested in, look it up on the site. All the information is there. And yeah, you just, I think you just have to be able to uh, register as a You have to be a person. student and you have yeah. to have a PayPal account. And you have to put your your information in because if you get over a certain amount of money, then you get taxed. If you if you make more than six hundred dollars a year and you are a U.S. citizen, and this is something that is subject to change as tax laws change, but for yes. right now, if if you are a U.S. citizen and you make more than six hundred bucks in a year, which does happen with some of my affiliates, then mm -hmm. yeah, you uh, have to uh, register. But prior to that, nope, you just get your money. Yeah. So that's cool. Um, I believe that's it. Uh, Holly, what is the takeaway for this episode? The takeaway for this episode is probably one a lot of people have started kind of kind of tweaking to as we work through it. Your process can change from book to book. It can change mid-book. Um, it can change from project to project or from series to series. It, it can change. And if it tries to change on you, look at why. See if there is something about this other way that you keep trying to do something at, but, but keep dragging yourself back to your known process that you could get out of doing it the other way. It never hurts to take a chance. It never hurts to try something different, to explore, to experiment, to see what else you have in you because you don't know what you are capable of doing until you do it. You can do amazing things, but... Sometimes you have to step outside of what feels comfortable to find that other bit of amazing that you have hidden in back and to bring that to light. So just remember, process can change, you can change it, and you can totally do this. Yeah, just remember, you're somebody with unlimited potential. You, Whatever it is, when it comes to writing, Unlimited potential starts at, well, I don't remember the quote, but there is a quote about success starting or creativity starting at the end of your, or outside of your comfort zone. Mm -hmm. um, I'll have to look that up, but it's a really good quote. You, you want to break out, you want to change things, you want to get better into writing. You can't do that by doing the same thing every time. Right. So whatever it is that you need to change, give it a shot. I think that that is a great takeaway. I think that we really covered a lot in this episode. <laughs> if you guys have any questions, find us in the forums. For now, I'm going to say I'll see you in the forums. We love you guys. Holly? Yeah, we do. We love you guys. Write, have fun, find your joy, and you, you can do this. So do it. Try something new. <laughs>